0: Before I start to uh, formally open the text, I wanted to mention a couple things. Um, We are, right now, as a church, we are in a uh, stewardship campaign called Invested. You may have seen the marquee out here, this large uh, banner out here that we have, and that is going to, uh, some of you have been involved in that campaign, and we thank you for that, and that will be ending and the beginning of June, the very last day of May, early June is when that campaign is finalized. And so um, we are announcing a new campaign called Treasures of the Heart. I think it's like about our 53rd one we've done. No, that's, I'm just teasing, it has not been that many. It's been, I think if Dave Howard, has it is this our 12th campaign or 13th? This is number 13 and um, so we would ask you to be prayerfully uh, considering what, how you might be involved in that campaign. You will probably get brochures either sometime late this week or early next week with a lot more explanation than what I'm going to have time to give you. Next week, we'll try and introduce the stewardship committees and the folks that will help, um, uh, help run that campaign. So I just wanted to make you aware of that. And so uh, there you go, now you know. And knowing's half the battle they say. Uh, Before we get into the text this morning, let me ask you a question. It's a rhetorical question, and if you're not sure what that term means, that means you don't answer out loud, okay? Keep it inside your head right now. That question is, when you think about coming to church, what aspect do you look forward to the most? give you a moment to think about that. I'm going to talk while you're thinking. That's no surprise to any of you that know me. Let's assume, and I'm assuming the best, that you're coming to church for something spiritual. You're coming to do ministry here on the campus. Um, You couldn't wait to get here and usher this morning, or to greet people, or to be involved with the seniors class downstairs where you're learning the truths of God, or Perhaps you were in the core values classes that started on Friday, and you're walking through those, or perhaps you're really into some really spiritual things, and that would be joining the choir to sing, and you wanted to be here early and get that. I say that because I'm in the choir, so that's a really spiritual thing. Um, But really, what aspect is it you look forward to? And and I'm as you're thinking of that, I'm thinking you might be thinking these kind of things. Well, you know, I kind of like this sermon. And I'm hoping when I'm done, you'll still be able to say that, Um, because you probably came this morning thinking Pastor Phil was speaking, and you got me. So, uh, or maybe you're saying, well, I really like the music. I really like the worship here. The music moves my heart and kind of lifts my spirits, and uh, I feel good. I I really look forward to that. Or, Or maybe you say, well, I enjoy the fellowship. You know, I enjoy my, I sit in my same little spot every week, and if anybody's in my seat, I don't say anything, but, it, you know, I'm in my same spot, around my same people, and I get to fellowship with them, and I can share with them some of my prayer requests, and they pray for me, and, and it's it's good. It's good stuff. Or perhaps you just like being here because um, you can forget about the pressures of life for an hour and a half, two hours, and just be open to what the Lord is trying to say to you. Um And I'm sure that list could go on and on and on of what you might be thinking this morning um, when I ask that question. But let me suggest something to you. And this will be no surprise to any of you because if I lead offering time, you'll hear me say this. If you really understand Scripture and God's promises, the thing that you should be looking forward to probably the most this morning would be the offering it would be taking the offering. be able to participate in the offering. Any of you think of that? Did you think of that? I mean, I know it's kind of a giveaway when they have a sign behind me that says the template for giving. So, but that's really what you ought to look forward to. You should be looking it. Remember, I always say this stuff like, this should be one of your happiest times of the service is when we do offering. It should be like, this should give you joy. I get to participate in, in the ministry of not only Valley Bible Church, but in the church as a whole right now by giving back to God who's given me everything. That should make you excited. You should be happy. But instead of just doing that, um, every Christian should be eager, anxious, thrilled about opportunity to participate in giving in the offering. Let me show you a couple passages, a couple statements that Christ himself made that kind of enforced that thought. Um, the first one is in Luke six thirty-eight. Luke six 38. I'll give you a moment to pull up your electronic device and pull up that electronic Bible. Or if you are still old-fashioned, you'll have one of these. This is called a Bible. It's a book for all you young people. It's not just on a phone. But if you have that, you can get there. Let's read that. To g- I'll read it. This is Jesus said this now. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap. For by your standard of measure, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, you might be sitting here and going, well, that's, kind of that Old Testament thought. But it's interesting, I found the passage in the New Testament. So it kind of makes it a New Testament thought. But this is before the church began. Okay, I'll give you that. This is before the church began because Christ is still alive. The church hasn't started yet. But the principle is the same. Um, The Old Testament truth is still true in the New Testament. It's still true in the church. All right? And so If you wanted to look at 2 Corinthians 9 6, you don't have to. I can read it to you, but if you want it, that's the reference. Listen to what he says He who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, he who sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. It's the same principle. As in any Old Testament passage, it's the same principle of Luke 6. And if you give a lot, you receive a lot. And what you receive is a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And it will pour out into your lap. You see, the picture is grain. This is the picture that you should have here, right? You don't always know that by reading the passage, but this is how they received their grain. They would take, uh, if you remember in the Old Testament times, New Testament times, and the older time, even I think even now in that country, they wear these long flowing garments, right? You guys seen these? We, even when we do a presentation at Christmas time or Easter, our people always have these long gown things on, Right? You feel like you're walking around in your robe. I've been in those. It feels kind of weird. You know, I'm like, I'm not used to wearing a robe around church. Now, everybody's wearing pajamas nowadays, but nobody's wearing robes as far as I know. So, but they had a sash that they, that they put around them. And the way this worked is you would pull your garment through that sash and create a bowl type circumstance. And the grain would be poured into that. For you to carry it home. They didn't have grocery bags, right? They didn't take a grocery bag down. They, that's how they carried their grain. So, the picture that we get here, what Christ is saying is you're going to have to sit down because the grain is going to be poured into that area so much that it's going to flow over in your lap. Now, what it says? That's what the passage says. It's interesting, the imperative in the passage. Give. And then God goes to work. You give, he goes to work. Right? Is that true? And it shall be given to you. You start it and God will finish it. If you start it, he always comes through. Always. Now, I am not preaching prosperity gospel I don't believe in that if you come in and you start to give with this in your mind I'm gonna give because God's gonna give me back tenfold what an investment if that's in your heart just keep it okay it's all about your attitude but here's what he promised if you give it with the right attitude that's the first statement the second statement comes from Acts chapter 20, verse 35. The latter portion of that verse. And this is the only time that Christ is quoted word for word except in the Gospels, in the New Testament. This is the only time. And this is what he says. It is more blessed to give than receive. Well, that seems like a pretty straightforward thing, huh? More blessed to give than receive. How many of you have had to be in the spot where you couldn't give, but you had to receive? And now the Lord's blessed your life and you're able to give. Which one do you feel is more blessed? Giving every time. Because God's put you in a position where you no longer need it, but now you can give it to someone that needs it. You've watched him bless your life. You've seen him fill up the grain to overflowing in your lap. So I just wanted to kind of talk about that because, you know, we, we have a tendency when it comes to giving in the church too, we have a tendency, tithe. How many of you heard tithe? How many of you heard of a tithe? you heard of that? Okay, what does a tithe mean? Tenth, a tenth, ten percent. We always hear that. I am not, that was a law thing, and if you followed that through, you would find out that it was a lot more than a tenth. It would equal 25% or more, 10% to the government, 10% to the temple, so that the servants at the temple could be fed and taken care of. And then there was 10% every three years where they had a festival at a feast that they gave. So you would give a third of 10%, which would be three and a third percent. So over a three-year period, you would give 30%, but you would give 23%. Then if you owned fields where you raised grain or anything like that, you would always leave the corners alone. You didn't harvest the corners so that those that couldn't afford to to feed themselves could go there. So if you think about that, that's probably 25% annually. So we're not under that today, though. We're not under that. Christ came. He paid the price for us on a cross and died on our behalf, and the church started in Acts. The church is a different dispensation than the law. The law is no longer rule us. We're no longer under the authority of the law. We're in Christ. We're under grace. Now, let me ask you something. Having been here, how many of you were here last week? For Good Friday and for Easter? Or for both? Or for one or the other? Okay. So, you saw last week what Christ did for you on a cross. To pay for your sins, the penalty, the sacrifice made by him and his father. Okay? So now, does that make you want to give more than 10% or less than 10%? And 10% is just a number, people. It's just a number. All right. So here, let me give you some facts. 50% of all members of evangelical churches, that would be people that have the orthodoxy that says we believe in communion and baptism. We believe that Christ is the only way to heaven. There is no other pathway to get there. They believe in the doctrines the way Valley would teach them. That's the kind of church we're talking about. 50% gave zero to the church last year. To the church. Maybe that's the wrong terminology. 0% to God. 50%. Now, as a national average, charitable giving in the United States, and I know these because I consult on the campaigns that we do, these, these uh, stewardship campaigns. Last three years ago, 2.4% of what the Christian, every Member of an evangelical church made was given to God 2.4%. So, of the 50% that we're giving, 2.4% was being given. All right, that number now is 2%. I don't know what your economy looks like three years ago compared to what it looks like now. I'd say mine's better. Okay, so when you think about that, that's just, 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 we're not even into preaching yet. We're not even in my message yet. I just want you to understand that about giving. We're we're in a a dispensation where there is no 10% rule. We think it's a great place to start. Me and my wife discussed this years ago, and I said I refuse to give 10% because I'm not going to be held to a law. The law I am not under. I am under grace. So I'm either given 9 or I'm given 11. Somewhere around 10, though. Okay? So, so you say, well, then, Larry, Pastor Larry, what is the standard of how we're supposed to give then? Well, I'm glad you asked. Even though you didn't ask, you rhetorically asked. You did it in your head. So that brings us to our passage today. Now, Pastor, we're, we're back in 2 Corinthians. And pastor has brought us all the way to chapter seven, and I think maybe Matt did a couple messages in there where Phil was not. At, pastor Phil wasn't able to be here, so um, he he asked me to do the message this morning. And so he's out of town; he's visiting his daughter in South Carolina, and his uh, son-in-law, and more grandkids than he wants to see, probably. So, but uh, that's where he's at. And so Carolyn wants to be with him all the time, but Phil's a different story, probably. But anyway, so they're back there. And he's loving on these little children and, and having a great time. And, and so uh, I get to teach this passage and preach it today. Um, it will be more of a teaching. I probably won't scream and yell too much. So um, let's read the passage together. 2 Corinthians 8, uh, verses 1 through 9 is what we're going to try and attack and see, if we can, and see how far we can get through that. Um, now, brethren... Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to the completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for this example of the Macedonians. And it's an example and a template of how the church is to be giving. So I thank you that it's so clearly stated, and as we go through these principles of giving, I pray that um, you'll speak to the hearts of your people. I thank you for Valley Bible Church. I thank you for our our people that give, and they give generously. And I pray that those that um, are unable to do so today, that you will allow them to do that in the near future, where there's nothing like... Uh, the blessing of being able to give. So bless this time now. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. So I found like 13 points here. So somebody just laughed because they're thinking 13 points with a Howard at a microphone. You could be here for a while, right? But we'll get through them as quickly as possible i'm just going to touch on them really quickly show you the principles of what paul's talking about in verse one he says the first principle we note that it was the grace of god given to the macedonians that so totally transformed their lives the grace of god did you see that in verse one there now brother we wish to make known to you the macedonians giving Is that what it says it's not what it says We we want to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. The grace of God given is what's causing them to give. Do you know that the word grace and give is the exact same word? The Greek word for both of those is charis. So the same word, used for grace, which is unmerited favor, a gift given to you in an unmerited way. You didn't deserve it. And the term giving here, they're the same word. Interesting. But that first principle is that you have been so totally transformed, your lives have been changed so much by the grace of God in his giving of Jesus Christ to you, as we saw last week, that you now are willing to give. Macedonians are willing to just give. All right? And look at this. It's not a human act. It's not a normal human act to give like this. It has to be the grace of God that moves the heart of the individual to give. You have to be captured by him. It's not just a noble thing let me give you an example of this you ever hear about Zacchaeus well is he a tax collector correct uh, someone that you wouldn't have eaten with right because he was a dishonest tax collector just a regular tax collector is bad enough but he was a dishonest one and Christ went to him and in conversation with Christ he placed faith in Christ which gave him a grace he was given Christ as a gift in his faith there what does he do? What's the first thing that he does? He says, I'm going to give 50% of all I have back to those that I've taxed. I'm also going to go back and I'm going to find those that I ripped off and I'm going to, I'm going to repay them. And then what does Christ say? Today, faith, your faith has made your household approved by me. The faith that you've just now... Christ says, now I can acknowledge your faith. Up until now, it's all been this, verbal. But this action says that the grace of God is in your heart now and you've placed your faith in me because now you're willing to move the feet. You're willing to do something. And it was in giving. Um, there's a man that I know that I worked for, For uh, I've known him for probably about 35 years wealthy guy younger than me makes me sick that he's as wealthy as he is but this man's god was money money i met him he was 32 years old he was worth about 17 million dollars and he wasn't happy it wasn't enough he's probably worth 50 million today a month ago we were contacted by him and he accepted the lord Yeah. If you knew this man like I knew this man, you'd stand up and clap. I am standing and clapping, so that's good. His wife started going to a little Bible study down in Florida where they moved to. And lo and behold, she said, she's a Chinese gal, and she said, I'm going to go figure out this white man's religion that I see here in America. She starts going to a little Bible study, a home Bible study for women. The Lord just reaches down and plucks her right up out of the mud and saves her, washes her, cleans her off. So she goes home and says, Richard, would you please go to a, a couple's Bible study with me? He's from Oklahoma. Well, sure, I'll go with you. That's fine. I'll, we'll, we'll go over there. It's fine. So he starts going. And the Lord does the same thing to him. He just reaches down and plucks him out. Eternally different. So here's a man... That all the time I've known him, his love has been money. And I mean money. He'd go on vacation. He'd always talk about the guy that he met that had more than him. Didn't say anything else about his vacation, but that guy. And my Uncle David knows him really well. Been witnessing to him for all these years. And so he now has a foundation that he set up. And he's given his money away to the church. He's starting a school, a Christian school, with his money. So, was that just a benevolent thing that he did? No. It's understanding the grace of God in your life, and it moves you to change. It moves you to do some things that are different. So, we're talking about a level of uh, giving and a level of sacrifice that is unique to those who have been transformed by God's grace. Um. I'll leave it there. So um, the second principle we find is in verse 2. And I'm just going to read, I'll probably read the verses as we go along. That in great ordeal of affliction. So the second principle is that they're giving. We see that they're giving, these Macedonians, they're giving transcended their circumstance. Right? That in great ordeal of affliction, Their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. This doesn't make sense, people. It does not make sense. Read it again if you need to to yourself. That in their great ordeal of affliction. Okay, what do we do when we have a great ordeal of affliction? We do the exact opposite of this. That's the normal response. Is like, well, I can't give anything. We can barely make our house payment. Who got you in the house payment? But this is what we do. My circumstances are such that I can't give. Second principle, we see their giving transcended difficult circumstances. You wouldn't think that this would be the time that they would step up and give. Do you have any understanding of what the Macedonians were going through? Their mainstay, the thing that they were famous for, was they were famous for gold and silver mines. So they were a wealthy people until the Romans came in. They took all the mines from them, and then they forced them to work the mines. And then they paid them to work the mines, and they forced them to pay taxes on the payment. They went from being a pretty well-off to being pretty much impoverished. And the roman government knew how to take just enough to help that that you could survive but that was about it that's where they were at and what did they do in our affliction their affliction their abundance of joy they had a joy in it they weren't sitting around going oh poor pitiful us wish we could give god but you know our circumstance i think they had a great understanding of the grace of god in their life the grace of Jesus Christ in their life. So, second principle, give transcended transcended difficult circumstances. The third principle, their giving was, what was it? What was their giving? What was it like? What was their attitude? They were joyous, an abundance. Not just, oh, look, I'm kind of happy, I'm able to give. In the, no, no, they had an abundance of joy. And one thing I want to point out. I see nowhere in this passage where an amount is talked about. What I see is an amount that's beyond. Whatever the amount is, it's beyond what they should have been able to do. Are you seeing that? That's what I'm seeing. So they gave joyously. Their abundance of joy was recognizable in them. That was the third principle. Their fourth principle is it was not hindered by their poverty. They didn't let their joy or their ability to give be affected by the fact that they were in poverty. Do you understand that? Do you see that? Because I think what we do is we go, let's see now. I'm driving a 2005 Toyota Tundra, and it runs fine. It starts every time I get in it. But boy, I'd sure like to have a 2018. So I'm just going to, I need more. That's kind of an American thing but I don't think it's just American. I think it's everywhere. We want more. We want more. We want more. That's why we could be 2% givers. I'm taking the other 8 or 9%. Remember I said 11%, right? 11 or 9 So that means I'm either taking 7% or uh, 9% more and just spending it on myself probably, huh? Because you know I need a bigger house, and you know I need a, a brand-new car, and you know I need, I, 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 I. But their giving wasn't hindered by their, prof- their poverty. There was no hindrance there. They just kept giving. The fifth principle, they were generous in it. Right? Their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They were able to give. Because here's the thing. You ever been to a, a, a fundraiser? Um, where you go there and you know there's some heavy hitter cats. You know what I'm saying? Like they got a lot of money and everybody in the room knows it. And you might have something that's being like auctioned off and you're buying it at about, you know, if Lynn and I were there, we might say, you know, we can maybe afford, because we've been coming here, we've been praying about it, and we can maybe afford $1,000. Okay? But you see some guy over here that you know he can afford to pay 25000 But he outbids you by 100 bucks. Oh I'll give eleven hundred now that's wise on one hand I don't want to be you know to to hurt him there, but if he's there to be benevolent to help raise funds and he can he can afford more, does that make sense to you he He can be more liberal. These people were given everything they had and then some more, and they were blessed by their liberality in giving they were able to give even. More, they knew they were giving all they could give. The guy that goes and, and gives five thousand dollars when he can afford to give fifty, I don't know what kind of giving that is. It's not this kind of giving. It's still giving. And if you want to write a check for five thousand, you can afford to write fifty. We'll still take five. But the point is, is that it should overflow the wealth of their liberality of, or generosity. It just overflowed in them. Sixth principle, oh man, got to hurry. Sixth principle, their giving was proportionate. There's three more principles of giving in this verse 3. For I testify that according to their ability, beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. See that? Their giving was proportionate. They gave according to their ability. So you go, hey, that's good next one makes it a little more difficult. They gave beyond their ability. So they, so, okay, so let's just say you're you're a 9% giver. So we gave 9%, we're done. That was our ability. But there's more of a need still. Oh, I might have to give some stuff up to give that next level. Might have to give a little something up. I know, this is, boy, everybody's being really quiet in here. We see that giving as sacrificial. So I'm given at my ability. Now I'm going to give beyond my ability. That's sacrificial giving. Okay? And then the, the eighth principle is we see that Paul said that it was voluntary. They did it of their own accord. There was nobody pushing them to do it. And believe it or not, I am not pushing you to give. This is just the template. This is just the template. This is the plan God has for the church to give. This is the place that you could go to and say, this is how you're supposed to be giving. Okay? There's nowhere else that's quite laid out like this. So there it is. So then you, you think, um, so They're sacrificial and involuntary, and that, that's eight of them. So it gives us eight principles of the giving in Macedonia, the last three verses or the last three principles in verse three, um, really to me are the concept of free will giving. I'm giving it my own free will. There's no no one's putting pressure on me. No one's no one was pressuring Macedonians. Why do I know that? Because if you complete that sentence where it says they gave of their own accord, and go into verse four. What were they doing? They were begging Paul to be able to be a part and to be able to participate in the support of the saints. This offering that, that, that the Macedonians were giving was being given to the church in Jerusalem. That's where the church started, and it was very poverty-stricken. And so this offering, Paul said, we've got to take an offering up. And he told the Corinthians... We need to take an offering. A year before this, Titus is going to come up in a minute in this passage, so we'll talk about it then, but when you think about it, you give what you're able to give, you give what you can sacrifice to give, and you do it of your own accord. That's free will giving. So it reminds, it's a, it's a manner of exercising your own freedom in response to God, all right? Uh, the ninth principle is in verse four there, and um, I love, I just like, I got to kind of read from three and then get into four. So, for I testify, this is Paul, for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Wow. Now, I only know Valley as an adult. I I don't know anyone who's begging and urging to give. There might be some here. I'm not saying there's not, but I don't know anybody. But this is what the what they were doing. Now, why do you think they were begging and urging? I think because Paul was kind of like going, I'm not asking the Macedonians because they're already struggling enough. But they got wind, if you look at chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, I think it's verse 6, that The Corinthians were the ones that were going to give an offering to Jerusalem. The Macedonians found out that the the Corinthians were going to do that, and they said, you know what? We want to do that. We want to give an offering. Take our money, Paul. We'll give an offering. They urged him. They, They came along and said, we are going to beg that we can give the offering. Amazing amazing you if this isn't another aspect of the grace of God in their lives huh all right so giving was viewed as a privilege not a not an obligation if you feel obligated to give man if you feel under obligation to give I think you should probably not give now we'll still take your money and cash the check But if there's obligation that's causing you to give, I don't, I'm not sure that that's the best thing for you. All right, 10th principle is found in verse five. So, um, and this not, and this not as we had expected, but they gave, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So 10 and 11 are in there in this passage. One is they gave themselves to the Lord. That's a principle. Giving of your money is nothing after you give yourself to the Lord. The first thing they did was give themselves to the Lord. What's the second thing they did in the passage? They submitted to the authority of those that were put in charge of them. That's what he's saying there when he says, um, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They gave to, they gave to us. They, they came along, they served us. They They begged to give to an offering to the church. Come on. That's what happened first. So there's your 10, that's 10 principles. I got arms waving up there at me. Thank you. 11th principle, I already did that. That was a mission to the pastors. And then Titus in in verse 6 there, um, Titus is the one that Paul had sent to the Corinthians about a year before this letter. He had sent Titus down to gather an offering to take to the church of Jerusalem. And it kind of got squashed and got paused and hesitated. And so now he's rebuilt relationships. Because you remember, 1 Corinthians wasn't a real, um, it wasn't the nicest letter that you'd want to get. It was rather rebuking. But training, rebuke is always training. Remember that. You're always learning something when you're being rebuked. If you're not, I rebuke you for that, so. Um, but you should. So Titus had gone down, he's, and so now they're, now they're using the Macedonians who, who heard about the offering that they were trying to take from the Corinthians or receive from them to give. Macedonians hear that, and they start giving. And now they're using, now Paul says, look, the Macedonians have given in the style that you should be giving. So let's redo that. So that's what, they, that's what happens there with Titus. That's why he's mentioned in there. Then in in verse 7, we see a 12th principle, and that is here. But just as you abound in everything, back talking to the Corinthians again now, just as you abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. It's not enough to just learn more about Christ. It's not enough for me to get up and talk to you about giving if I'm not giving. Oh, it happens all the time, people. People get up in the pulpit, preach to you what to do, and they're not doing it. That's not enough. It's wrong. It's an anathema. You know why I don't mind passages on giving? I'm already giving. I love it. Talk about it all you want. My grandpa said that When you throw a rock into a a pack of wild dogs, the one that yelps is the one that got hit, just so you know. So as you abound in everything, you should be abounding in this work also. So what is that principle? That principle is that giving harmonizes with the other Christian virtues. You know, if you sing a song and you don't include all the, if it's written for four-part harmony and you only do it in three-part harmony, it'll still sound good. But it's not a complete, according to the author, of what he wanted. He wanted four parts being done. Right? The song isn't the song he wrote if you don't sing all parts of it. The, The Christian life is not the Christian life God intended if you're not doing all the parts of it. You know, giving is just a part of your sanctification. You do understand that, don't you? Okay. These people right down here understand it. That's good. So in verse 8, he says, uh, I am not speaking this as a command. See, he's not commanding them to give it. I don't see anywhere where there's a command or Paul using his authority as an apostle. The only thing he says is "give." That's the imperative, give. But there's no, there's no huge command. Of, you better do this or that. No, no, he doesn't do that. I am not speaking this as a command, but as approving through the earnestness of others, the sincerity of your love. Also, I'm showing you the example of the Macedonians, the church in, Corinthian, in Corinth. I'm showing you this example of how the Macedonians give. This is the example that you should be following. Guess what? I am a pastor up here doing my best to show you what God says to Valley Bible Church about how you're supposed to be giving. I didn't make any of this up, did I? It's pretty clear in the passage. That I didn't even have to get in the Greek hardly to figure this one out. It's pretty straightforward. That's why I said it's more of a teaching process than it is a preaching one to me. I'm just trying to tell you, all I know is when you do these things, God blesses your life. He just blesses your life. So 13th principle, he's saying, I'm not commanding you, but I'm telling you to prove your love. Uh, I'm not speaking a command. It's voluntary. You give it free will giving. It's, it's the earnestness of others. And he's referring to the Macedonians. He's saying, I'm just going to show you what you should look like. Comparative analysis. And don't act like you don't do this. I was told recently by some young lady that women, um, I don't remember where it was at, women wear makeup for the other women. They don't do it for guys. They care less what you think. They're getting all dressed up so that their girlfriend will think they look good. You heard that before? That was weird for me. I'm like, really? I thought all this time that they were doing that for us guys. But you always are comparing yourself to something, aren't you? Everybody does that. You do that with your Christian life. You do that with your prayer life. can't tell you how many people have said to me, oh, I wish I could pray like you. I'm like, I wish you could just pray like you. You need to pray like you. God wants to hear from you. He hears from me. That's great. That's me and him. You need to talk to him. If you do that, you'll be praying like me. Right? All right, so... So those are 13 principles of giving. There they are. And they're there. If you want to question me on them, you can, but I, I, I pretty much have seen them. They're very clear. They're there. And it's just how you should look at that pattern and go, this is the template of how, we, how it fits. This is how it works. And inside of all this is huge blessings. Huge blessings. What my biggest fear as a pastor is that we don't teach enough on giving We talk about it a lot, but we don't teach on it. That's a big fear. Because I am one day going to stand before God as an elder, as a pastor in this church, and he's going to say, why didn't Dino get all the blessings I had for him? You know why, Mr. Larry Howard? Because you were afraid to talk about giving. Because the culture says all they want is your money. I don't want anything from you. I want you to obey God's word. Now, if you want to give me something, that's good, but I I don't really need it. All right. So now what I want to finish with, and then it's, it's an incredible thing. As I look back at last Friday, and we heard about what Christ did on the cross for us, and the wrath of God and the cup that he had to drink, the five cups. And then Paul just kind of sneaks this in in the middle of all this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know the free gift of Christ. That though he was rich, and let me tell you something, where he was at in the heavens, he was so rich. Yet for your sake, he became poor. Now, wait a minute. Was God ever poor? When you compare where he was at to taking on a body like this, and this is, a, mine's not that great, but you know what I'm saying. Taking on a body, that's poor compared to where he was. That's you living in a mansion somewhere, and now you're on the street. Except it's a lot further than that. But he came and became poor, took on flesh, so that you, oh sinner, might be rich. If you're here this morning and you don't know what I'm talking about, I'd love to introduce you to my Savior. He came down all the way down here, took on flesh, became poor in comparison so that you might have the riches of heaven. Wow. That's a giver. That is giving. That's your supreme example, the superior example of sacrificial giving. I'm done. Father, I pray this morning that, God, I I know in a room this big, there's someone who hasn't taken advantage of Christ's poverty so they could receive the riches. In this room, there's someone. I don't know who they are. I don't need to know. But oh, I wish, I pray, I hope, I plead, I beg that they would know you, that they would know, oh, that they would meet my Savior. And then all this talk about giving would make sense to them. It makes sense to us that have experienced the grace of God. Oh, would you make us more gracious in this area? Grow us up. Teach us how to give. Oh, what a template the Macedonians have become. Pray you take these people. Thank you for their graciousness of listening. And I thank you for Valley's people that give and give and give. Pray all these things in your precious son's name. Amen. You are free to leave. Thank you.